What's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss? Not much for me personally, though. That is how I secured the bigger bedroom over my brother when we moved into our house as kids. To be honest, he's never really recovered. But unless you're my brother Sam, and you're probably not, or a fictional character from No Country for Old Men, which you're probably not, or a Democratic nominee named Bernie Sanders, eh, you probably haven't lost much on a coin toss either. But this week, as you may know, due to a bizarre bylaw for Democratic precincts in the Iowa caucus, delegates in six precincts were decided via coin toss, with Hillary Clinton winning them all. So there's been some blowback that a decision with such significant implications could be reduced to such a haphazard elementary school resolution. And okay, this coin toss clause is not unique to Iowa, and that six-for-six narrative has turned out to only be partially true. But for me, I find election years are riddled with little instances like this. Little things that remind us that behind all the abstruse language and caveats littering our electoral process, there is simplicity. Can't split a delicate in half? Flip a coin. I mean, if it's good enough for Charlie McDennis. The election process is complicated. I'm not trying to say it's not. The Electoral College is still comically misunderstood at even the highest levels. And to be honest, I need a primer on the caucus system every time around. But I kind of love that there are all these instances over the years where all the complexity slips away and we're left focusing on something as simple and minute as a coin toss or a hanging chad. Which, if you don't remember, is not a surf rock band, as I once thought, but rather the name given to the controversial, you know, little piece of whole bunch paper on the ballots in Florida 16 years ago, which is basically how George Bush got elected. No comment on the if scenario there. Sometimes the simplicity isn't a coin toss clause. It's just about how we gut react to a candidate. It'd be nice if we could respond just to the issues where our nominees stand on them, but... Sometimes it just comes down to who you'd rather have a beer with or who looks really wimpy next to a tank. There are coin flips throughout the process, regardless of whether we're actually flipping coins. The point is, the randomness and simplicity of the coin flip is not an outlier in our election system. We want the process to be fair, but there are endless factors interfering with that fairness. So we build the system into a robust, complex series of checks and balances, and if A, then Bs, but that only goes so far. At the end of the day, when all ifs and thens have been exhausted, the only option left is something as chaotic as a coin flip. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Tails never fails. Welcome to the CP Untitled Podcast. I'm Alex Gordon. Maybe you can hear it. I'm suffering with the cold. I apologize. But I also take back that apology because I can't control it. Today I talked to editor Charlie Deach about his column on white people, Celine visits a butcher, and I check out the recording studio ID Labs, where our cover story subject DJ Afterthought makes his beats. Stick around. That's the doorbell at the entrance to a building in Etna, PA. The building's exterior is enthusiastically nondescript. There are no signs anywhere, and the whole thing looks like it might have once been a bank, which it was. Hello? Now, though, it's the home of ID Labs, a prominent recording studio responsible for some of the biggest hits from artists like Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller, among others. You might recognize their label, Taylor Gang Records. They also operate out of that building. Today I'm getting a tour of ID Labs from DJ Afterthought, who's the subject of our cover story by Margaret Welsh this week. 
DJ Afterthought's real name is Ryan Haynes, and he's relatively new to ID Labs. Tours with Riff Raff and Mac Miller have raised his profile over the past few years, but Pittsburgh people might already know him from his work with the clothing company Daily Bread, or his King of the Berg events every month at the Rex Theater. With a new EP scheduled for March, we thought now was as good a time as ever to catch up with him. When I get inside, my first impression of ID Labs is that it looks like a recording studio. Maybe that's obvious. It's clean, and there are nice couches, a pool table, as well as synthesizers and turntables and a recording station. There's also a bed in the corner, which I ask about right away. Oh, bed. So that's Wiz's bed. Um, he, obviously, he records here, so... Yeah. Um, that was kind of like my only stipulation, really, for being in this space, um, was that I had to leave Wiz's bed in my room. <laughs> um, if he's here in town and he's, wor- and he's recording and it's late, he, can, he has a place that he can crash. Upstairs, Haynes takes me through various hallways and lounges whose walls are covered with framed records and magazine covers of artists they've worked with. But it's mostly Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller. How many different studios do you have here? Um, there's three. Producers are at work in the other studio, so I mostly see hallways. But then Haynes takes me to a room filled nearly wall-to-wall with vinyl records. Oh, holy shit. Do you know how many are in here? <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> a whole lot. Um, probably... 10,000. All right. So a lot of these details aren't revelatory for a music studio. You expect thousands of records. You expect couches. You might even expect a Wiz Khalifa bed. But what struck me is what might strike anybody visiting here for the first time. That inside a building this forgettable, there are massive, ubiquitous, worldwide hits coming together. So in this building, I think, was, like... I think black and yellow. See you again. Faces. Watching movies with the sound off. Khalifa. 90% of Mac and Wiz's stuff were recorded here. So, When I mention the unassuming appearance of the building, Haynes knows exactly what I'm talking about. The building's actually an old bank. Um, there's actually, if you go in the kitchen, there's a safe where the kitchen oh, is. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like an old bank safe. Um, and our booth is actually where the ATM was. So we head into the former ATM space turned vocal booth, and it's sort of wild. You know those gray foam paddings you see in recording studios? He's got those, but they're unlike any I've ever seen. Protruding from all the walls are these big six or eight inch elongated pyramids jutting out. They look like spikes in some kind of medieval torture contraption, but they're for, you know, like dampening sound. So anyway, um, they're like a pyramid shape of like, and they're all acoustical foam. Um, it's like NASA developed. It's super dense. It's like some of the densest foam, I guess, in the world. And it's different, uh, different lengths protruding out. Um, and what, I guess what the science is behind it is it just hits each, each surface and it hits each pyramid and bounces around. And every time it bounces, it just dampens more and more. And since there's so many and it's so dense, it's like a dead silent room, especially when you have a whole room of it. In here, it's like 85%, I think. DJ Afterthought mentions that the dampening of these pyramids in a treated room is so extreme that it can cause hallucinations, but we must not have stayed in there long enough because I got nothing. After the building tour, we sit down at DJ Afterthought's station. 
Dudes walk around in the background, moving between studios, talking, working. He says there are probably 15 people in the building right now, though I've seen no more than four at a time. This place is filled with nooks and crannies. So what's your favorite feature of the building in general? Um, the kitchen. <laughs> Definitely the kitchen. Um, the kitchen down here we use sometimes, not really that often, more or less just to heat food up. Yeah. Um, but the kitchen upstairs, um, Jerem is a, and, and Saya has too, but there there's some, there's some masterminds in the kitchen. So uh, Jerem's been on a, a smoker kick where he, he smokes meats and does a lot of barbecue stuff. So we'll just have like all-out feasts. Definitely the, um, the best part to me. <laughs> Personally, I would have gone with the Spiky Death ATM recording booth, but, you know, different strokes. Before I head out, DJ Afterthought plays me a track from his upcoming release, which he's still working on. It's just a really poppy EDM house song that we're working on. This one's actually done. Nice. <laughs> Afterthoughts EP is called the Underachiever EP, and it's coming out on March 29th. I want to thank Ryan Haynes for having me over, as well as everybody at ID Labs, and also our wonderful City Paper music editor, Margaret Welsh. This week we're talking to editor Charlie Deach about his latest column, which covers the responsibility of white people to stand up to racism. In his column, Charlie talks about how, as white people, we need to stand up to those who make racist comments, those who have ingrained biases, or to those who don't recognize that racism is still being perpetuated in some of our laws. Here's my conversation with Charlie. One thing that I really can't tolerate are white people telling African Americans or other minorities or or members of the LGBT community how they should react to the way they're treated by other people. And by other people, I, of course, mean white people. Um, so I was trying to think about that. I, I've always tried to, you know, obviously I, I'm not a racist. I, I don't normally associate with people who are, but sometimes those uh, those meetings are impossible to avoid because unfortunately a lot of times those people are probably in your own family. Mm-hmm. And so I was just thinking about that. I was thinking, how can I be involved in this battle against racism. And so I just thought I've, I've had enough. I, I don't listen to people when they, uh, I shut, I shut people down when they begin talking and making racist comments. Um, it's just, it's, it's intolerable. I just, I can't stand it anymore. And I think that we all need to start doing that. We need to start, we need to stop pretending that everything's okay when it comes to race relations in this country. Yeah, it's interesting when people talk about race relations in the past few years, it, they talk about it like it's swelled up. Right. I don't think this is anything new. I think right. we're just sort of excavating and yeah. dealing with things that are, have always been there. Exactly. And I think that uh, I think that it's been the action of, you know, police officers. It's really, and that's what people think of. People, people think about, you know, the Tamir Rice case and all of these cases where these, uh, individuals were killed by the police and you know that wasn't the start of it this is what has sort of brought it to i think the tipping point and so 
while I can, I think as Caucasians, we need to figure out how we can further the discussion without also trying to pretend that we've ever experienced that. And um, quite frankly, if I hear the term reverse racism again, which is something that actually somebody I think wrote on a comment section of my column, yeah. it just, it, it makes me, it makes me scream. What's interesting to me is I, I have this sort of bad habit of addressing these issues by saying, because I do feel that it's complicated. I feel, I say that it's complicated, yeah. but there's a storied history of white sure. people saying, well, it's complicated. Well, yeah. Is it? I mean, yeah. it's not in, in many ways, it's not. Right, it's not. If you're on the receiving end of this, uh, you know, institutional racism, right. it's not all that complicated. No, it's a very simple issue. Yeah. You don't like me for whatever reason. Yeah. You know? well, well, the reason is because I'm black. Yeah. Um, I just think, you know, as as since the civil rights movement of the 1960s, I think, you know, it's not quite as overt um, it's right. still in the laws. I mean, there are still ways that it's represented in official sure. laws, but it's. I think why people say it's complicated is because it's not something as simple as saying, uh, you know, desegregation. Right. It's not something as simple as right. voting rights. Um, these are small things that are happening every right. single day that are being propagated in rooms like over right. the holidays. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. And it's it's... That's how we have to start standing up. You know what? Sometimes you're wrong. You're not entitled to that opinion. Yeah. You're entitled to your opinion whether you think we should have fair trade or not. You're entitled to your opinion of who you think should be the president of the United States. You're not entitled to that backwards, half-assed position that because someone is poor, because someone is black, they deserve to be treated however the police want to treat them. They deserve. They They deserve to be... Uh, to receive educations in, in their schools that are far less than the educations of most white students in most, you know, more affluent areas. And it's time for us to just to stand up and say, that's not, you don't have that right. Thanks, Chuck. In our soundbite segment, City Paper booze columnist and food adventurist Celine Roberts takes us to Butcher on Butler in Lawrenceville where she learned how to, well, butcher. That's right. She witnessed an entire lamb getting ready to be lamb chops. Mike Rado and his wife are the owners, but he says his five-year-old daughter is the real boss in their lives. Rado takes being a carnivore as a serious responsibility. The animal died to be eaten, so the number one rule is waste nothing. Here's Celine. Welcome to Soundbite. We are here at the Butcher on Butler in Lawrenceville, and I am standing in front of a headless, skinless lamb. We're here with Mike. He's going to teach me a few things about butchering, which is going to probably come as a shock to someone who was a vegetarian for 15 years. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for uh, coming down to check it out. Yes, that's great. Yeah, um, and tell dead. you about the animal. Yeah, it's very dead. Uh, hasn't been for long. This is from Elysian Fields, um, which is in Waynesburg, down in Greene County, about less than an hour away. And it's one of the best lamb farms on the planet, much less in the country. And it's right in our backyard. What separates it from the other three-star lamb farms, <laughs> I think, would you say? I, I think what Keith and Mary, their devotion to the animal, their devotion to the craft, um, they're holistically raised, so they're raised by nature as close as possible. They spend all their time on pasture. They eat all-natural diets. They're, they're treated like you would want to be treated if you were a pastured animal. All right, let's uh, have at it. 
Cool. Um, the whole idea of taking a whole animal and making it ready for the case is you're not going to have lamb chops right now. You're going to start by taking this beast and making it smaller with strategic, simple cuts that are going to make it easier to work with all the way it's down. So we got four separate bins here. We'll do bones, we'll do lean trim, we'll do fat, and we'll do uh, edible cuts out of the four. So do a spin it around here. It's easier to move the animal and to move your body around than to try to work at an awkward angle. What kind of weight are you working with? Well, this is about, I'd have to look at the receipt, but from guessing from it being on my shoulder and looking at it, this is about a 70 pound animal. We're gonna go down, we're gonna decide where the top of the shoulder is here and where the bottom of the neck is, and we're gonna cut the roast accordingly. We're gonna put a little pressure on the shoulder to kind of encourage it away from the body here, and you see it, where it's working there. And again, that's a matter of taking the tip of your knife and exploring. Make it shallow, little following cuts just to open up those seams. And once you get that seam open, you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. See that? Oh, wow. Right in there? He's slowly separating the shoulder away from the rest of the body. I have this overwhelming feeling of disappointment that I've never seen this before. <laughs> I think it's, um, you know, I don't think everybody should have to butcher their own food because a lot of people would starve. <laughs> but I also think people have to realize that food doesn't just show up in your grocery store all magically vacuum sealed and packed and pretty and ready to take home. That does you a disservice because you have no connection to the beast. And therefore, you're more likely to burn it when you cook it or waste some of it, eat half of it, throw the other half away. What the hell? It just came out of plastic. No, this damn thing walked around. It had a name. So there's our other four shoulder with the shank attached. And again, we're just taking this whole animal, making it smaller. Now we're going to do our big money cuts, the chops and the loin chops. So we're just going to use the weight of this against itself as we cut it. There's our short line right there. That's the entirety of the short line. And this is our rib line right here and shoulders and breast. So now I'm going to make a saw cut down the breastbone here with the hand saw. And then the band saw is what we're going to use to do to actually cut this in two. And that's the most technical cut on this. French it, French style. Go between the bones. <laughs> 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 
and we're just going to turn our knife sideways and run all that fat and meat off the bones there. Watching you cut through the ribs is the first time I've had a hint of the heebie-jeebies. Oh, really? The sound. <laughs> Scraping like and this. <laughs> we want to get all those nasty bits off the bones there because what they'll do in the oven is they'll burn up. You won't have that nice lollipop presentation that most people look for with a rack of lamb. So if you had to pick one sound from your shop that happens every day that really brings you back to what you love about doing this, what would it be? The sound of the grinder running to me means the butcher shop's like open for business. The smell of fresh ground beef coming out of there is really, there's no smell like it. It never smells better than when it first come out of the grinder and just that sound of that motor humming means like, yeah, like everything's happening here. So this is it. Um, this is the end of the animal. Oh, this yeah. is where the lamb's exhaust vent would have been. And we're just taking this last bone out of here. So we're pretty much done. It's all in the case. We're gonna roll it, tie this leg, put it in the case, and we're gonna take the sirloin separately and put it in the case and call it a day. Thank you so much for showing us your art. Thanks for taking an interest. I'm always happy to do yeah, this stuff. Maybe I'll come down and uh, start buying my meat from you. Hey, you know what? You know where it comes from. All right, thanks, Celine. Roberts here with your weekend calendar. Get your theater on this Thursday for the preview of The Ballot of Emmett Till, presented by New Horizon Theater. This narrative is part history and part ghost story about the unjust death of Emmett Till in 1955. Jazz music helps link the past and the future to tell one of the many stories of the civil rights movement. Expect to laugh and then maybe think a little bit more about where we're headed as a society when stand-up comedian Ari Kondabolu performs at Pitt on Friday night. This Indian-American comic, known for his politically and culturally incisive jokes, is on message when it comes to the American psyche. Flamenco Pittsburgh takes the stage at the Kelly Strayhorn Theater on Saturday with Fiesta Flamenco. Live music, wine, and the performance of this powerful dance should be enough to add some color to your cheeks and keep your spirits up. Apparently, I'm all about the body percussion this week because the last thing on my calendar is Stomp at the Palace Theater on Saturday. This long-running dance and sound group has been delighting audiences with their creative performances for years. If you've been living under a rock since the late 90s, just take a look at some YouTube videos and then buy your tickets. For more ideas, check out our listings. I'm Celine Roberts. Get out there and have some fun. Get my, get my name right. Don't nobody move till I say so. Let your body move when I say go. Is you with your man? Better say no. Got a type of body that I pray for. You the type of woman that I wait for. Type the DJ stay late for. Shorty down the rack, shorty stay low. I just think she bad cause she faithful. Faithful. All right, thanks for listening. That has been our third episode of the CP Untitled Podcast. Our MP3 Monday came from the local hip-hop artist Lights La Soul. 
The track is called Faithful and was recorded at ID Labs last November. City Papers Untitled Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Alex Gordon. Our multimedia editor, Ashley Murray, and I produce the show. Celine Roberts takes us around the city telling us what to do and where to do it. Thank you, Celine. And our theme music is produced by me, Alex Gordon. Catch up with us next week. We'll be right back on Wednesday. Of course, find us on all of our social media mediums, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We are PGH City Paper, and this is the City Paper Podcast.